Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the podcast with me, Jonathan Puddle. This is episode 67. I really uh, am excited to share this one with you. My guest this week is Danielle Strickland. If you know her, then you already know she's amazing. If you don't know her, you could think... Uh, if you were to think of, of maybe Brene Brown meets Christine Kane, you, but is Canadian, you would be kind of in the right ballpark. Uh, Danielle has uh, spent her career working with uh, exploited women and, and helping churches and ministries uh, change their practices in such a way to prevent exploitation. She's worked on anti-trafficking initiatives at a global level, and she has a brand new book uh, coming out called Better Together, how women and men can heal the divide and work together to transform the future. So we talked about a whole bunch of things, and I really, really enjoyed it, and I believe you will too. So check the show notes for links to her new book as well as other resources, uh, and let's dive right in. Thanks once again, Danielle, for for the time. This is I'm excited. Hey, it's my joy. Thanks for having me. Are you at home? Are you in Toronto? Or I am. I'm at home for just less than 24 hours. I'm on my way to Chicago right after this. Okay, wonderful. Well, I'm in Guelph, so not too far away. Yeah. Okay. I've just put down I've just put down my Kindle reading through the the PDF of your your book that Harper sent me, and I am am loving it. I have so many thoughts and so many questions and places that I would love to hear you expand on. But I guess right off the bat, what I what I was feeling, even as you're beginning to unpack statistics, talking about uh, the reality of oppression uh, that women face around the world, as you're starting to paint a picture of what it can look like for us to work together, my my guts are turning over and I'm just like, it seems impossible. Like, it just seems so, we're like, we're so deadlocked. Like, right. in my inbox, I've got messages from dear friends feeling like men feeling passed over because of diversity quotas. Uh, I've got women enduring horrific realities. I've got <laughs> men who have, uh, who've had their eyes opened, but don't know what to do. Right. I've got dudes who are also like... <laughs> It's all bullshit. So I'm like, right. Where where do you where do you start? Well, I mean, first of all, that's why I wrote the book because I feel all that pressure too. I think anyone who's alive today in the current climate, especially in the Western world, but I'd say globally even, feels this you know in paralyzing pressure and fear around men and women collaborating and working together. So right down to like personal interplay between relationships to like business and corporate and systemic change. So this is everybody's felt paralysis. And I, I said in another, another book I wrote around fear, you know, when fear becomes the dominating motivator for what you do or what you don't do, you can be sure you'll either be oppressed or you'll be an oppressor mm. because fear is the currency of oppression. So mm. that really helped me. Like we cannot afford to be paralyzed by fear because it will just allow oppression to keep us in its grip. And I really feel like in the midst of sort of the chaos of this moment and even the highly pressurized um, ideas of this moment, like realities, there is in buried in that chaos, this beautiful emerging design, you know, this, mm. this answer. And I feel like every social movement has this, you can feel this, you know, there's always chaos before the beauty of a new creation, uh, or a new way or new systems sure, uh, sure. of interacting with each other. So I really feel like even though it's like, ah, this is crazy and hard, that's exactly the reason why we need to pay attention to it. And we don't have to be afraid. That's, mm. I mean, I think that's like number one, let, let's not let fear 
dictate what we do or what we don't do, or else we're just going to continue in this. The other way to spot an oppression, by the way, is if you can't conceive of anything changing. Mm. If you have something in your life and just the thought of it getting better is like overwhelming you, like you're just like, yeah, impossible. Like you're scared to hope. That's a sure sign that oppression is already at work in your mind and in your life. So that's another good reason, you know, I can spot the oppression that's at work between men and women because people are like, ah, it's impossible. And even statistically, of course, people believe women specifically believe this is impossible to change. They've been so used to living this way. So yeah, I would just say, I really felt like it was a now moment that Mm -hmm. people were afraid. It's really hard to talk about. It's really hard to touch. But one of the things in the book that really is my own experience of where a lot of hope came was when I met this guy named Sammy Awad, and he's a Palestinian uh, peace activist, a Christian in the Middle East, which is like a Palestinian Christian in the Middle East is like in a hard spot. <laughs> and uh, and he said, you know, he had done all this work trying to create momentum for peacemaking and bringing people together. And he said, traditionally in movements, what happens is people draw from your past, you know, like mm-hmm. when you've overcome things before and it creates a momentum for change in the future. But he said every time they would dig into their past, you know, it would just get worse and worse and more complicated than ever before. And there'd be more wrongs that they didn't even know existed and there'd be more offense and it would always stall them. And as he was talking, I really felt the exact same truth with women and men. Like if we're going to try to find something from our history to drive us forward, it's going to be a long despairing search. You know, (laughs) it's not good back there. So what he said he did is he found this thing called nonlinear theology, which if you're uh, if you're a Christian out there and you're sort of a fan of Walter Brueggemann, who yeah. wrote the book Prophetic Imagination, basically Samuel Wad uses this, you know, the ideal of the church is to imagine a better world and then invite people there. Mm. And uh, that's what he did. With, he would gather all of these different faiths, Jews and Muslims and Christians together, and they would imagine what their life, their best life would be at the end of their life. Like they're on their porch and they're in their rocking chair and they look out and what do they see? And as they began to share their dreams of a future that was good, they realized that all their dreams were the same. They all dreamed for peace. They all dreamed for their children to be alive and well. They all dreamed for, you know, a measure of well-being and wholeness. They all dreamed for their families. And they 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 found this camaraderie in this future and in this dream. And I feel the same exact thing with women and men. Like when you ask women and men what your ideal future is for your sons and daughters, you know, and you're on and you just like, here's the world, the relationship world I want to give to my kids. They're they're shared dreams. We want our, we want our daughters, like fathers of daughters who are terrified, you know, don't know how to change things, but are terrified to learn that, you know, a woman's self-confidence peaks at age nine in our society. I got two years. A nine-year-old girl is, that is the highest her confidence will be in this current climate for women. Yeah. And yeah, that's gut-wrenching, right? So you're just like, as a dad, you're like, no, like, let's change it. But, yeah. you know, like, but how to change it, that's where it gets tricky. But if we actually dig into our shared dreams, and my son, I have three, I'm the mother of three boys, which is its own conflict, because I've helped women out of exploitation for my whole life. And then wondered, literally wondered to myself at the stats and the things that I've seen men do over and over again, just wonder, like, is it possible for men to be good? You know, I've just really grappled with, are there good men in the world? Like, is this, thankfully I married one. And then I have these three boys who I'm dreaming of a shared future for these boys to be good and contributors to a better world. And to, you know what I mean? To explore all that they're capable of, and then also to contribute to other people experiencing that too. So 
this drives me to believe in, in hope for a better future. And if we start there, what is our desired ideal? Like, mm. what do we want to see happen in the world and then work backwards? I think that's a much better strategy than trying to figure out the past yes. and some sense of it going, going, going forward. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's wonderful. And, and yeah, I can, you only have to spend any, like a shortest amount of time with, with people who've been victims of extreme exploitation to come away with a pretty bleak outlook on, on humanity. I mean, you t tend, tended to be biased towards masculinity, but certainly humanity. Yeah. And I think this is definitely true. Yes. And there has to be a constant, what I would say, like a renewing of our mind, you know, so that we're not like living in the basement level, like always assuming the worst of people. But I would also say that, you know, this Me Too movement, I mean, what this, what this is, is a tipping point in culture, you know, where what we thought was like a terrible tragedy or what you would call extreme exploitation is actually pretty matter of fact for a lot of women. Yeah. And we just didn't know. And I think when that starts to dawn on you, and I think that's, you know, that's also the season we're in, which again, brings a paralysis or brings a fear, but also should bring a great awakening, like just a yeah. real revelation and understanding that, whoa, even though I knew the stats are that one in three girls will be sexually abused in her life. I mean, think of that one in three, that's yeah. crazy. That's Canada. Canada, which I feel like Canada feels pretty good about itself in yeah, terms of like egalitarianism sure. and like gender. And there's laws that protect women and all that kind of stuff. But even in this country, one in three girls will be sexually harassed or abused in their lifetime. So you just think one in three, I mean, that's every meeting, that's every family, that's every, you know what I mean? Like yeah. the, the impact of how this has damaged our relationships has not been fully understood until I think now, until yeah. we just you know, where women have been given a platform through social media they never had before to say, actually, it happened to me too. And here's what happened. And I think just that itself should be this wave of, you know, revelation and to say like, okay, whoa, like we got to stop this. Yeah. Yeah. You cited a statistic that more women and girls have been murdered or killed, let's say for being female than, than all the men who died in the world war conflicts. Yeah. And that, you know, there's a book called Half the Sky uh, by two uh, really world renowned journalists um, and they, Nicholas Kristoff, and, and they cite all of those, just the gender side. And they believe as journalists, just looking into the issue of sort of women just even going missing and like women systemically killed and women, you know, just the abuse and the harassment and the exploitation of women around the world. They say like, this is actually this generation's issue. Like it, yeah. you know, the last generation they say was totalitarianism, uh, you know, fighting against sort of these dominant powers. But this generation, they say it's a, it's a war against women. Yeah. And it's yeah. a fascinating thing because when you say that a lot of people will be like, well, that can't be right because women have rights and we have protections. You know what I mean? Like exactly. there just is a genuine, like, really like that's a thing. And I think there's just been a, uh, maybe a willful blindness, maybe just a cultural blindness to the realities uh, that are happening and yeah. have happened. Yeah. 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 Okay. So you just said that, you know, you're married to a wonderful guy and you've got three boys. And so you've got this very in your space lived reality that draws you to, okay, not all humans are evil. Not all, not all husbands are abusers. What do you, where, where, where does a, a woman 
Let's start with women, because I'm interested to hear what we do with men. But where, where do we, does a woman start who doesn't have those touchstones right around her in lifting her eyes to that prophetic vision of a, of a hopeful future? Yeah. And this is where I would say, like, find some people, like get some help, first of all, to untangle some of the things that you've believed that are not true about yourself and your limitations and the baggage and the abuse that's happened to you. So, you know, interestingly enough, I do this campaign called Brave Global, where we mobilize churches to reach vulnerable girls before they're trafficked. Mm. And one of the things that happens with that movement is churches gather these girls from, you know, vulnerable backgrounds. And one of the elements of the gathering is that we have a self-defense component. And I'll never forget this one uh, gathering where we had an MMA fighter, this chick, Kelly Kelly, come and do some uh, basic self-defense. And she decided for the first time in her life that because the conference is called Brave, she said, I'm going to be brave. And, you know, of course, immediately you think she's going to like break someone's elbow or something. And she says she just began to share about her own sexual abuse when she was 10 years old. And how it took her 10 years from the time she was abused to even speak of the abuse. So 10 years to just speak of it. And then she said something happened to her when she was doing her martial arts and self-defense training. She said the first thing you learn in self-defense is that your first defense is not physical. It's verbal. Mm. You make a lot of noise. Like you shout, like you scream, like you like yell as loud as you can. And then she just began to say to these girls, because there were about a thousand girls in LA at Mariner's Church. And she said, I want you to repeat after me, stop touching me. And like a thousand girls are just like, yeah. stop touching me. Like, wow. you're making me feel uncomfortable. You're making me. And she just started giving them like these phrases to say and these things to use their voice to actually yes. defend themselves. And as it was happening, I just had this like massive revelation like, oh, like that's why we have to speak. Yes. Like that's why women have to find their voice because it's your first line of self-defense. Yes. And if you're not even able to speak about what's happened, if you can't even raise your voice to say this was wrong and this wasn't me and this is not okay. And this is what we're, you know, so in, in so many ways, this, you know, sort of women finding their voice is the first line of self-defense. Yes. So I would say to women, find your voice like own it. Don't be ashamed. No longer like pushing it down because this is the first way you begin to defend yourself and actually find some, uh, you know, find some autonomy, you know, find your voice, find some value. Yes. And then I would say, gather some people around you, some champions. Uh, so men and female, don't be afraid of all men. Men are all not the same, you know, but look for some men and some women who can actually be your community, your champion, people that will actually help uh, build you up where you've been torn down. Yeah. And then I think it's just really a mixture of, of, of brave. And I would say spiritual strength. I would yes. say there's a, this, this design that God has this desire that God has to empower you to do what you've been called to do. So like partner with God and then like dig deep in your own brave self and yes. uh, see what God might want to do. So what if you, this is okay, this is the most thing that disturbs me the most, and, and hopefully I don't offend anybody by saying this, but when I encounter anybody in a theological framework who do not believe that God has any desire to empower us, but certainly even women who are like, nope, this is, this is my lot in life because God has ordained men up here. What do you do if someone's whole perspective on God is not for you, not in your favor, not safe. Yeah, I would pray, I would speak, I would write, I would teach for uh, a, a genuine repentance. 
um, so that people, and re- the word repentance isn't just about sorrow, it's about changing the way you see. Mm. And we need like a big repentance around God. We need to change the way we viewed God. And, uh, you know, I view God as this controlling, dominating, authoritative, you know, perpetually disappointed uh, God for most of my um, life. And I, until I had a repent, until I had an awakening of God's great love and mm. that God was for me, not against me. And, you know, this, this thing that God is a liberating God, that God's an empowering God, that God like gives gifts and everybody should use them in accordance to what they've been given. Like this idea of this, uh, free, beautiful, wild, uh, for you, God, you know, this is what it means to be saved. I mean, this is what, you know, Jesus was saving people from a religious system that made God into a controlling, authoritative, you know, sort of pushed down, disappointed God. And Jesus is liberating people. This is his whole ministry. So I would just say, like, just revisit Jesus because you'll see he liberates women. I mean, he calls them as apostles and disciples, the way he treats everyone, the way he treats men and people who don't belong, people on the margins and the religious even. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, some of my favorite things are with Jesus with the religious people because I used to think Jesus came to stick it to the religious people. And then I realized, whoa, I read the gospel and was like, oh no, he actually loves them too because his (laughs) his love is like empowering everybody. So he's even going to empower people who are stuck in religious systems. So I would say, you know, and pray deeply that people would have a reawakening and reimagining of who God really is Mm -hmm. and the love of God, which of course in the early church, by the way, was the, was the sign and wonder that people were longing for. It was this, this crazy idea that all divisions had been uh, done away with, you know, that, that, that Paul says in Galatians, you know, just this idea of like a social order that Gentiles are this and Jews are this, or men are this and women are this, or slaves are this and free people are this, like that's all gone. And when you destroy that, I mean, that's like, that's a freedom that everybody's like, what is that? And that's the freedom that Jesus brings. And that's why I think, you know, I tried, I tried just to speak about the subject kind of without God at the center of it. And I literally, I couldn't figure out how to do it. Hmm. I, I, the only way I knew how to do this was with Jesus because he's the only one that I've ever seen in history demonstrate the power and just the sheer like, whoa, you know, what is going on here? Uh, yes. That happens with the person of Jesus. And even no matter what you think of Jesus, just his life bears witness to this like incredibly empowering, liberating uh, leader. Yes. Yes. Amen. What, what do you think about our responsibility towards those who don't see the issue? You know, I mean, if we take an ex- let's say a more extreme example, like the modern day young, the incel, you know, the man filled with rage. How does he begin to have his worldview expanded? And do we, do you feel that we have a responsibility there uh, to steward the minds around us or? Yeah. I mean, I would say there's a couple things in, in the book. I suggest that proximity is the answer to segregation. So the only reason people don't aren't touched by this issue or moved by this issue is a lack of proximity to the Mm. issue. So you'll see like, there'll be great gains in this issue when a father, you know, no matter what kind of a hardened hearted leader he is, uh, when his daughter actually feels the sting of prejudice or sexism or like abuse, Mm. his heart changes, you know, and then he has to like confront this like belief that kept him separate with his like love for his own daughter. And that's when you see, 
you know, when, whenever there's proximity, which again, just out of the page of Jesus's book, he always went close, right? You go yeah. close. And when you're close up, it's the same with poverty. You can talk about poverty. You can say poverty's bad. You can, you know, you can even campaign for poverty, but when you actually step into poverty and you see it and it becomes less of an issue and more of a face and has a name and a person and it just, you're, you're changed by it. You can't actually ever look at it the same way again. And I think the same is true with this. So what I would pray. And then this is in my book, I suggest how segregation, which, you know, we're so used to talking about segregation when it comes to race, which is still a problem and still true and still an unhelpful thing. But in specifically in the church and in society, often our answer to this problem between men and women is to segregate men and women. Totally. And, you know, segregation always leads to worst forms of injustice. Because proximity is actually how you move people to care. Yeah. Proximity is how that issue becomes less of an issue and more of people. The proximity is how you actually like, we're all on the same side and this is a problem we have to deal with together versus like, ah, that's your problem, not my problem. Yeah, so yeah. I suggest like that your knee jerk reaction is segregation, you know, whether it's Wall Street that says, you know, no more women allowed because it's going to you know, it's danger, 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 which I think also, by the way, is really ironic that men are abusing women. And the answer is to exclude women. That's, <laughs> that's fascinating logic. I'm always like, like a proper business solution would be like no more men in the right. workplace. Oh, for sure. Obviously you can't be trusted, you know? So, but the answer is to segregate women, which I think is fast. And in churches, you know, in Christian circles, this is a big one. You know, we've just virtually segregated ministry, uh, because we're afraid and we don't know how to work together in a way that's honoring to one another. And that's like the saddest thing in the world, because literally what Jesus did was a work called reconciliation. Yes. And that's what we see in that church that's so profound in a world that I might add was way more infused with patriarchy and uh, prejudice and segregation than ours is. Mm. So what would it mean to recapture that incredible sign and wonder that was the early church, that the divisions are no longer there. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I've I've been raised, you know, with the kind of ministry uh, modus operandi of never be alone with a woman, never, uh, you know, if you have to drive someone somewhere, have another person in the car as a chaperone. Uh, if you're having a meeting with a female colleague, make sure the door is open. And it's been presented like this is the wisest course of action. And I I get it to an extent, but I've also always been like, this is weird. Like, is it weird? Uh, yeah, it's weird. I mean, think about it, even as you're saying it, like what happens to the way you view women? Oh yeah. Like either you're a dangerous temptress who is out to get me like a succubus, or I'm an uncontrollable rapist who will rape at every earliest opportunity. Yeah. And it also gets completely ridiculous. Like I talk about in my book, how I was speaking at a church and the whole church was, is male led. And I didn't even realize, but like, I was just staying like five minutes from the church. And then the, the senior pastor was like, Hey, look, I'll meet you on the steps of the church. Just grab an Uber, you know? So I was like, that's weird. I'm like five minutes away. Like, why doesn't he just swing by and pick me up? And so I legitimately could not figure this out, but I took an Uber, which by the way, was a man. Right. So you'll be, you'll be safer with a complete stranger. Like, I mean, it's crazy. So I take an Uber who's male. Nobody has any problems with that. Then I get to the, and the Uber driver doesn't feel uncomfortable. Like neither of us feel, we feel fine because <laughs> we view each other as humans. 
And then I get to the steps and this happens a few times, you know, and I say, I text my assistant going like, is there something I don't know? Like what's happening? And she's like, Danielle, they're men. They can't pick you up. Like they're not allowed. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, they're not allowed to pick me up at quarter to eight in the morning before a Sunday service. The first time we've ever met because we might have an affair. Like, like for real, like I might be sexually tempted at quarter to eight in the morning before I'm speaking on a Sunday by that like guy. I don't think so. Like number one, like check yourself. Number two, like I'm the threat, like, right. Number three, like I'm your special, like, so I just think like, it's so ridiculous. Number one, it's ridiculous. Number two, here's another one about this segregation idea, which is commonly affectionately called the Billy Graham rule. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, and I've had all kinds of people hold that up to me. Like, you know what? I just, it's never done me wrong. The Billy Graham rule. It's never done me wrong. Oh yeah. It's never done you wrong. Speaking as a man. Absolutely. It's done every woman you've ever met wrong mm. every single time, because the lens by which you view women are a threat. Every single time that you've literally objectified a woman because, and Billy Graham rule 1948, that's when he made that rule. So I always say to people who want to practice the Billy Graham rule in terms of sexual relations, you know, in terms of like interpersonal relationships with, uh, opposite sex, I say, well, I hope you're making the same salary he was making. Cause he also put boundaries around money, you know, cause he didn't want to take too much money. So he took $15,000 a year as his annual salary. Cause it was 1948. So I'm like, how's that going? How's a 15 grand going for you this year? And they'll be like, Oh no, that was 1948. And I was like, exactly. Like mm. women couldn't even get a credit card. They couldn't run marathons. Like they couldn't have access to their kids. If they ever got a divorce, they couldn't own their house. I mean, there was no co-ed Ivy league schools. I mean, Billy Graham was not dealing with other female leaders. He was not dealing with collaborating with women leaders. He was in a subculture called the Southern Baptist who even like have some issues beyond the culture he was in, which didn't see women that way. So I think if the best we can do is 1948, we're in some serious trouble. Mm. And so there's a couple things. One is I would say, yeah, it protects men maybe, except the stats don't suggest that it's protecting anybody. If the Billy Graham rule worked, we'd be fine. There'd be no church to, or, you know, none of these sexual harassment, all these men who are like, you know, exposed as like harassers or abusers, like that wouldn't be happening because they all practice the Billy Graham rule. So like, number one, it doesn't work. It's not Mm. even very good. I'll take a quick break to thank my Patreon supporters. Thank you guys so much, each of you who give every month, you make this all possible. If you are not a monthly supporter, but you enjoy the show, would you consider uh, joining me? I know that uh, I get hundreds and hundreds of downloads every month. I'm sure many of them are from regular listeners, and I have currently about 50 people who support me every month. So if you're one of those lurker listeners, uh, would you be open to giving just $3? Because it only starts there. And every bit helps me out. So uh, head to patreon.com slash Jonathan Puddle and you can jump in for $3 or more if you want. Anyway, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for giving me your ears here. And let's get back to Danielle. Number two, it is damaging to women because women then are seen through the lens of a threat. Uh, And then as a result of that, segregated from places of potential mentoring, potential... uh, you know, advanced champions, like, you know, I I mean, I know so many women leaders who have never been mentored or encouraged or championed by any male leaders because male leaders are petrified. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. If your only framework logistically of how to practically work that out is, you know, come and be beside me and we'll show you how I do things. Or let's make sure that we're getting lunch alone every couple of weeks in order to be equipping you. And I'm never allowed to be alone with a woman. Then, then what that means in practice is that women are not going anywhere. Right. And you'll see, and this happens so practically, like leaders I meet, like really great, fantastic male leaders. And they'll just say, yes, I'm all for women. And then you look at their leadership teams and they're all male. And I'll say, okay, so you're for women, but why are your leadership teams all male if you're such a champion of women? And then, you know, they just, like, if you can just connect the dots that your thought process, your segregated women, you've like left them. There's no proximity to women that, so even men will say to me, I don't know any good women leaders. I don't think we have any in our church. And I'll be like, tell me about your women's ministry. And they'll be like, our women's ministry gets the most people saved. It's like, kill it, you know, whatever. I was like, you have many women leaders. They're just stuck in women's ministry. Well, this is this is Beth Moore in the world right now, right? Where yeah, like exactly. suddenly, suddenly the entire human race has discovered this incredible person who's been incredible for Her years. That's right. But just <laughs> limited and stuck and segregated in women's ministry. Yeah. And, uh, and then as soon as, you know, sort of social media unleashes her in a way that is no longer confined to the pattern of the church, you know what I mean? Yes. In terms of central dominant power, uh, you know, men are like, what's going on? Right. And some of them are even more threatened and some of them are actually liberated. So it's fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Do you, do you, okay. I have a bad habit. Maybe it's a bad or good habit of whenever I'm connecting with a new ministry in any context, I'll go and look at their church leadership page and see what I see. And, and the one that puzzles me the most is when there's male and female names listed, but only the male headshot. And I'm like, huh, it's like you've, it's like you've tried, but not tried. Uh, where do you deal with like, engaging with ministries that are not safe or not welcoming? Like, do you still go? Do you take those invitations? Do you draw the line? Like, I I know that's super complicated right now, right? People will be like, how dare you went to that event? How dare you invited that? You gave that person a platform. Well, that's what happened when I, when I agreed to speak at the global leadership summit on men and Mm. women working together in the height of the Heibel scandal, which is where this book kind of came from. Uh, because I realized, you know, like everybody, I mean, the big, like people were saying to me, like, how can you stand on a stage built by misogyny? You know? And I remember saying to them, like, can you point me to another stage? Mm. Like, is there another stage in the West? Like, is there, I I don't think so. I think it's all been built on misogyny. I mean, this is like, this is the world in which we're living in. So like, let's not be all Pollyanna about it. Yeah. That's just naive. Yeah, that's naive. Mm. Absolutely naive. And it's also just this human idea to say that the problem exists outside of us. So we want to scapegoat it. Like the problem is this one guy, this one leader, you know, and it's like, Mm. that's not the problem. The problem's inside of all of us. And we have to actually be willing to go there together and figure this out. So I think, um, you know, more judgment, you know, more shame, more guilt, more fear is not going to help anybody. We actually have to speak a, a, a word that is hopeful, a word that's true, a word on a future that we're imagining together, a word on the possibilities of that happening. And I would say like daring to hope that things could change is part of what the gospel does. And so that's what I would speak. I think the only time I would ever draw a line at any event, anywhere, anytime, regardless of the issue, is if I couldn't, if I wasn't free to speak what I felt like God wanted me to uh, speak. So if there were limitations on what it was that I was going to speak, then I probably wouldn't uh uh, speak there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's wonderful. I did. I did go to a, a church one time that didn't uh, agree with women speaking, and I was speaking there, and I had an interview with the pastor beforehand, and he said to me, "You know, we really want you to come speak on justice because I was doing a lot of uh, social justice work." 
And he said, but I'm just wondering if you could leave the women part out, you know? <laughs> and did you? And I just laughed. I said, you know, I'm going to quote you around the world now. Like, that's the best. Like, can you speak on justice, but leave women out? I'm like, what on earth? Like, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I mean, it was just, there was this nervous laughter around the table and uh, yeah, of course I did. I mean, how can I not? I just was like, I, like, there is no speaking about justice and then leaving like an oppressed people group out. Like you're not, these aren't separate things. You know, these are deeply connected. A friend of mine, I've I've had Priscilla Shire on the show here twice and she's just so wonderful. And, And a friend of mine went to her pastor and said, listen, if Priscilla Shire was visiting our small country this is not Canada, and and really felt that the Lord had given her a word of encouragement specifically for our church, you know, would she be welcome to come and share that message? And uh, the pastor who was male said, well, probably not on a Sunday morning. We could perhaps arrange a Tuesday night meeting for the women to be invited. And my friend said, okay, what if men would like to attend the Tuesday night women's meeting? And he said, that would be fine if they voluntarily showed up on the Tuesday. But the Sunday is especially sacred. It's just a hundred levels of weird, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, even like, what is the church? And like, I mean, it's just so many levels of weird, but sometimes what I do, you know, because some people will say, well, you know, you know, people can believe what they want to believe, blah, 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 blah. And you should have grace for people that from different backgrounds and stuff. But I said, like, just substitute women for any other thing, Mm. like substitute women for black. Yes. And then, and then go through that again. Can we have a black person speak on a Sunday morning? And then the response is no, actually Sunday wouldn't be appropriate. Then what would we think about that? Oh yeah. I mean, we would be like, Uh, whoa, Hey, this is like reminiscent of something called slavery that we don't believe anymore. Like this is, this is like, this is not okay. This is a, but so what I find fascinating to me is like people who are like, well, you know, they're not for women, but they're like, they're still good Christian people, you know, like, and I'm like, yes, I know they're good Christian people. Just like all the slave owners were good Christian people, but there does come a time where you have to say, that's not good Christian practice. Yeah. Yeah, like, and we cannot kind of condone that practice anymore. We can't, uh, I just feel like the time has come. If you put any other, you know, think about it. If you, like there's a first nations person here who has a word for the Canadian church. Oh, well they can't, mm-hmm. they can't speak it to the church. Cause that would be, you just be like, that's totally wrong. Like, yeah. and then, but somehow with women, and this is how pervasive, you know, sort of a patriarchal mindset is just sort of a male dominated thought process is everyone's like, well, okay, we'll do it Tuesday night. Yes. You know, I mean, it should be absolutely, yeah, it should be outrageous. It should just be like, what are you talking about? Like we're so far beyond this when it comes to so many different issues, which by the way, we use the Bible to support for many, many years, hundreds of years. Oh, exactly. And so there's just, I just, you know, for me, of course, as you can tell, my tolerance level is pretty low on this front, but just be, just because it's so ridiculous and so nonsensical with even what the church is and what the gifts are for and how the new Testament looks. And so out of proportion with the gifts God has given people, like it's just, we, and I feel like we just don't have time for this. Like, yeah. We've got a great big huge world to redeem. You know what I mean? Like I need everybody. I need all the Priscilla Shires on our side and like unleashed. Yes. Uh, we're gonna need yeah, we're gonna need her. You know, we need her. 
Yeah. So what about people then who who just really see it as like a political agenda? Because there may be those, you know, who are like, okay, well, I'm on board or, or I feel like, why is it that that Danielle Strickland has a new book out called Better Together and all we can talk about is the plight of women, like don't they just want to sideline men? Isn't that the liberal agenda? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say there is some of that going on, not in my book, but I think that that's why I called it Better Together and not like Women Arise or something like that, because the um, the dream, the, the perfect future is a is a beautiful blend, a collaboration of all people, all shapes, all sizes, all genders, all like whatever, all mm-hmm. of God's people. So that difference is no longer a threat to us. It's a gift to us yeah. so that we can reach all people with good news. Right. So this is the collaboration. So I would say that this, and this is what I'm, I'm talking to a lot of leaders who have been paralyzed and who have been afraid where I'm saying like, let's not maybe use fear uh, anymore is the way to, to, to run things. What if we used faith and this opportunity that God, this design that God had to actually, uh, bring collaboration to the table. So our differences are actually opportunities for us to reach more people in more different ways in a collaborative effort. So what's really cool is wherever women have been, you know, I call it the 30% quota where there's been 30% women leadership, for example, that's when you can actually change a culture 30%. Mm. If you just have one-offs, uh, in any diverse project, by the way, it's just uh, one exclusionary voice and it burns people out. Women don't last. So I'll have leaders say to me, you know, we had a, we had a woman once, you know, but she's no longer with us. And I'll be like, yeah, hello. Because it's like, you're always the dissenting voice. You have no company. You're always the exception. Like, and it's just exhausting to be or that Or it becomes person. like tokenization. Like, we, exactly. like, oh, we had, we had Barack Obama. So there's no more racism. Like, exactly. it's like inoculation without actual exactly. change. So all the experts say that 30% quota, if you aim for that in terms of equity, it will actually change the culture of your team. And what's really great about the research is that women leaders, for the most part, like some of the things that they love, for example, uh, in all the research says that like for competitions, which, you know, have been driving the workforce for a long time is this competitive edge, right? Uh, Women don't mind winning, but they don't like winning by themselves. Hmm. Because what they don't like is to win at the expense of somebody else. They like to win in a team. Like they like everyone to win together, which if you actually think it through is like the best leader on the planet. Like you want your whole team filled with leaders who want everybody to win, right? That's, that's what a great kingdom leader looks like. So I'm always like, if you can find and develop and look for and invite women into the leadership of your team, your team will be better for it. Trust me. And you will not go back going, oh, brother, you know, that was a terrible season when we tried to empower women. You'll be like, why didn't we get to this 50, you know, 50 years to 100 years earlier? Because this is remarkably impactful for our community. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. There is one other thing I talk a little bit about that I think is, uh, for me, was a real game changer. And it was just our views on power yeah. uh, and, you know, what it what it's for and how we use it and how transformative it is. You know, so I think that we culturally, we believed Lord Acton when he said that, you know, all power is corrupting and ultimate power, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we all just sort of go, yeah, you know, we're all just like, it really is. And then I actually thought about Jesus being all powerful, you know, like all like absolute power and completely uncorrupted. And I started to think to myself, okay, what's going on? Because obviously power is not corrupting if it doesn't corrupt Jesus. So what is it about power that's corrupting? 
And I uncovered what I think are three corrupting views of power that can be corrected, which will help us steward our power uh, a lot better, which might actually help a lot of men who have power, but maybe corrupting ideas of it. Mm. So I say that power is corrupting if you think it's limited. Yes. And this is true of any kind of power. You know, if you think it's limited, it's a scarcity model. You're going to hang on to it and you're never going to let it go. Power is uncorrupting if you understand it's unlimited. Yes. And that power, and you see this in the life of Jesus so well in that he's just constantly giving power away and it keeps growing so much so that Napoleon one time said like, who is this Jesus, right? Like I hire people to work for me and and, and I can't get them to, to really give me their all, but like Jesus, everyone will die for him. And, uh, at a moment's notice and no one gets a dime, you know, like he gives power away and his power grows because power, true power is influence. So it's unlimited and power is corrupting. If you think it's yours, Mm. if it's, if it's a thing of ownership versus something you're stewarding and is a gift. And this is, again, Jesus understood all power is given to him. It's a gift to steward rather than something that you own. And then finally, power is corrupting if you, um, if you think it's for you. You know, if it's for you, power is ultimately for something else bigger than you and using it that way will actually change the way that power. So if you're someone with power, if you believe that it's limited, you're going to be terrified to give it away. Sure. And this is what we see. This is, this is why, uh, you know, power has been a scarcity, uh, mindset, but you don't have to be, uh, because there's another way to use your power and a greater way to use your power and a way to use your power that will actually make everybody better. Mm. That's so good. I heard, I don't remember who this was. Some, some writer once sort of said that, you know, the point of God's authority, the reason God's authority is given and dispensed is to increase the pool of authority. You know, the more of God's kingdom manifest here and now. That's amazing. I love the way you link that together. Even, you know, I'm thinking like Jesus, you know, who is, is God doesn't consider it something to be grasped, but makes himself like, it's all there. Yeah. It is the good news. I mean, this is how power is used and understood and how Jesus stewards it is like that should be our, you know, I mean, even back to the Billy Graham rule, where in the book, I actually talk about the Billy Graham rule as as a thing we need to critique. You know, we really need to think critically through and what it's doing to each other. Uh, and then I and then I talk about the Jesus rule, you know, which might be a better thing to aim for, like. Why are we following a 1948 Southern Baptist televangelist? What, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Billy Graham. I think he was awesome for his time, but like we should be following Jesus. Yes. And Jesus never kept the Billy Graham rule. Not even like, you know, hundreds of years before. <laughs> like, hey, he disciples, didn't do it. go into town. I see a woman coming on her own. I'm going to wait right here. <laughs> That's right. I think I'll talk to her by herself in a culture that really <laughs> might mean death for both of us if we do this. So, I mean, he was, his culture was way more infused with patriarchal value. And, and he never kept that rule because mm. he didn't see anybody through the lens of difference and fear. He saw everybody through the lens of faith and opportunity. Uh, he saw their true humanity. Um, so I think that's what we're aiming for, to be little Christs. Let's really be like Jesus in the world and stop being so afraid all the time and use our power to empower other people. And we'll all be better for it. No one's going to regret this. Come on. Yeah. Preach it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Daniel, thank you so much. This is this is wonderful. I, I'm really excited to finish reading this and I'm excited to to share this with everybody. Would you uh, Would you be willing to pray for us as we seek to you know, embody power the Jesus way. Absolutely. Yeah, let's pray. So God, thanks so much uh, for the way that you've invited us 
all of us, every single one of us, uh, to a place of freedom, to a place of hope, uh, that you promise us a future uh, with no more divisions uh, and no more fear and no more pain. And I pray right now, even for everybody listening, I pray for people who have experienced pain, uh, men who have been maligned uh, or maliciously or pushed away uh, because of their who they are. I just I pray that you would bring healing and hope and inclusion and empowerment and freedom to them. I pray for women. I pray for girls that have been uh, harassed and abused and pushed down and segregated. I pray right now that they would be uh, ministered to, that your healing would flow, that they would feel the great welcome by you into fullness and wholeness and freedom. And I pray for the divisions uh, in this conflicted world right now, all on all sides, but specifically today for uh, the division between men and women. And I pray right now that you would bring hope and freedom and healing to our relationship so that we might be bearers of beautiful good news, a ministry of reconciliation to the world. And I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. How about that, eh? Danielle Strickland, I was super glad to be offered that uh, interview. I really enjoyed our, our time together. Danielle is uh, really a thought leader in Canada especially, but at, on a global level in terms of what she's doing and, and, and how she's inviting people to uh, dream of a better and brighter future. So check out the show notes. Go to jonathanpuddle.com slash podcast and you can find the link to order Danielle's brand new book, Better Together, How Women and Men Can Heal the Divide and Work Together to Transform the Future. You can find out more about Danielle at daniellestrickland.com and you'll find her on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and she is pretty fabulous she's kind of a conference uh, circuit junkie too so uh, keep your eye out you'll find her speaking at conferences uh, all around north america and the uk as well thank you so much for giving me your time this week my friends grace and peace to you and i will see you next week